Today on Stick to Football, we are fixing Connor's Jets because after Monday Night Football, they desperately need it. We're also going to look at the trade deadline, some trades we want to see happen, some trades we think might happen. And of course, we're going to answer your guys' draft on draft questions. But as always, make sure you're watching us on YouTube because I actually think, I mean, we both look pretty damn good today. So get on Bleach Report's YouTube channel, look for the Stick to Football playlist, and Connor, I don't know about you, but I am already excited because on Friday, you and I will be flying to London, not together, unfortunately, for our event uh, on Sunday at O'Neill's on Carnaby. I, I had a couple people DM me and they're like, hey, there are four O'Neill's in London. Which one are you guys going to be at? Uh, so I hope I'm saying this right, but we'll be at, at Carnaby Street uh, for this event from four o'clock until whenever. And we've been told daylight savings time apparently works differently in London. So or not differently, but. Because Earlier. our daylight is different, <laughs> right? Like, we go a week later than them. I don't understand daylight savings time anyway. It's stupid. But the games there kick off at 5. So you can come hang out with us for an hour and pregame while we record the podcast. And then the games kick off at 5 and we can watch those together. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And as we always tell everyone, we don't know when we're leaving. We're doing the show before the <laughs> right. games. That's what matters. Lefko will be with us there on Sunday as well. So we'll all be doing some stuff together. But listen, if you're going to the game, I know we've heard some from our great listeners over there that said they won't be able to make it because they'll be at the game who check on it check on in after we might still be there who knows and we're really excited for all the people that did reach out that are going to make it to the game and a big thank you to them for that tip that uh the clock's going back and then matt me and matt will get back in the states and the clocks will go back here whatever we'll figure it out this is gonna make we got home from vegas and i didn't know how to sleep or breathe for, for like a week <laughs> like, okay well i'll eventually just lay down and fall asleep and i'll wake up and it will be a time uh, we also and pl- like if you can come to this tailgate the the one we're about to talk about i encourage it because i think this is going to be the best one that we've had in two years of the tailgate tour no disrespect to madison baton rouge austin we columbus ohio we've been to amazing places but november 9th in tuscaloosa alabama the game it just got announced it's a 2 30 kickoff so we are probably going to be there at about 7 a.m setup we have a tent a 20 by 20 tent on the quad it'll be set up Look for us. Look for the stick to football guys. Uh, We are going to have food. We're going to have beverages. We're going to have a ton of fun things to do all day. It's free. You don't have to have a ticket to the game. Just come tailgate with us. Uh, Adam Kramer is going to be there. I've heard our guy Jacob Hester might stop by again. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We want everyone to be there. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, November 9th, 7 a.m. until kickoff, basically. Yeah, it's going to be basically the national championship game of the year during the regular season, which is incredible. We can't wait for that whole squad's going to be there. Uh, Plenty of stick to football friends are going to be there. And if you've never been to a tailgate, like Matt said, get over. This is the one to make it to. We're going to have food at this one, drinks, plenty of fun, and we'll be there the whole time. So let's get into it, Matt. A lot of news around the league, and we don't need to talk about the embarrassment that was my New York Jets on Monday Night Football yet, because we're going to fix them later. So we can get into that embarrassment later. Uh, But let's start with something that happened before the game, and that is Schefter kind of hinting that Tom Brady could be leaving New England after this season. I never buy into this stuff. But I did find it interesting, not only when you tweeted it, but then when I went back and watched the video again, how, you know, sure Schefter almost it seemed was, by so this. So here's what's amazing. This got buried. Like, no, I it didn't did. see anyone talk about this. I saw some, like, at crazy fan takes tweet it. So I watched the video and was like, oh, shit, this is a big deal. So Adam Schefter on Monday Night Countdown goes on there and says, listen, Tom Brady has sold his house. He has his trainer has sold his house. Tom has restructured his contract where there's an out after this season. And he's basically setting it up like Tom might not want to retire, but he might know his time is done in New England, in which then Steve Young doubles down. and was like, listen, this is something Jerry Rice and I talked about. I wanted to retire a Niner. Jerry wanted to keep playing ball. And at some point, you know, you're at the end of your run with that team and you start setting things up to go elsewhere. I, I don't know. I've always been skeptical in the past of people connecting dots like so-and-so sold their house. They're definitely going to retire or they're definitely being moved with Brady. I mean, he's such a calculated individual, but I I'm, I stand by this. And I've heard a lot of rumors over my now nine years of doing this job of Bleacher Report. The, the Tom Brady rumors have always been crazy, but I will say that uh, several years back when there was maybe talk that Bill Belichick preferred Jimmy Garoppolo over Tom Brady, Robert Kraft squashed that. He emphatically yeah. said, no, 
Tommy is our quarterback as long as he wants to be. Kraft thinks of Brady like a son. That relationship is, I mean, it's, it's very paternal. I would be shocked if Robert Kraft let Tom Brady ever play anywhere other than the, the New England Patriots. I would be too. That's the main reason I'm not buying into it is because they had a successor that they drafted and developed and that was playing well there in a very short uh, you know, sample size. And Kraft came over the top, and he never did that to Belichick before. But he came over the top, and they stuck it out with Tom Brady. Obviously, everything worked out in the end there. But I'm not a buyer that they're sitting there and going, well, we have Jared Stidham right now. We're really ready to move on this time. Yeah, I don't think it's time for that just yet. So, But it was interesting. It was very interesting to me to sit there and watch that. not a bullshitter. He's not. No. And I think everyone on set, and even Randy Moss is like, okay, where does he play? And Schefter didn't know how to – he didn't know what to say. He was like, well, I think there's uh, half a dozen teams or a dozen teams that will want Tom Brady. And it thankfully, whoever was hosting knew to get out of it, you know, but well, it was like, OK, like where where do you see him going? My one question, and I don't want people to get upset at this conversation because we're just spitballing here. We're not saying Brady's leaving. The only reason I can think of that Tom would want to leave at this point of his career is just to prove anyone out there. And I know there's not many at this point because it's so ridiculous, but to prove out there that he could have won anywhere, that it wasn't always just Bill, that he could go, I don't know, to say to a Chicago, who knows, but and go win one more title elsewhere. And then it's really undisputed that he's the greatest of all time. If you don't think he is already. I don't want to make this a Patriot show, although I, we probably need to talk about the Patriots more than we actually do. Well, uh, they got Muhammad Sanu now, so we're going right. to talk about that, too. <laughs> look at Bill Belichick's record before Tom Brady. It wasn't good. So if everybody was like, Brady's a system quarterback. That's always my argument. It's like, look at Belichick before Brady. Who made who? Maybe it's a chicken or the egg. But like you said, the Patriots traded for Muhammad Sanu. I woke up, and the first thing I saw on my phone this morning was a text from you, and then it was the news about this trade. And I thought, like, wait a second. Does that say a second rounder? So I like grabbed my glasses, put them on. It's like, oh, that says a second round pick for 30-year-old Mohamed Sanu, who has uh, basically a year and a half left on his deal. It's very, a very inexpensive deal. This is good for the Patriots in terms of contract. But uh, were, I was surprised that a second round pick, and it'll probably be pick 64. So that, that has to be uh, put in there as well. But a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu did surprise me. It surprised me too. And I think even more so was that, They were saying they were trying to get him during the draft, and Atlanta was not ready to move him. Obviously, Atlanta, much like I personally thought, I thought they were going to be competitive this year. They thought they were going to be competitive this year. They fully realized that's not happening, and now they were ready to pull the trigger. I don't care if this is pick, what, Matt, 63 or 64, whatever it's going to be in the second round. You got a second-round pick for Muhammad Sanu, and you already drafted Calvin Ridley, where you feel good about your receiver core there. Now, let's talk about the New England fit, because, yes, this is a great return for Atlanta, but for New England, Sanu is a guy that'll fit seamlessly into their system. He will buy in as a blocker. I mean, they love that, especially with this very run-heavy attack, and and I think he could do a lot of things after the catch. I know everybody's been talking about his passing numbers, which is just another fun thing to add to the fold. He's under contract for next year at what, for New England's cap, is probably a pretty reasonable rate, so if Josh Gordon has injury concerns or any kind of long-term concerns, they really did need to add a receiver for the next two years because Nikhil Harry, even if he comes off IR, it's going to take a little time to get back full up to speed. And with Josh Gordon, I think a lot of people forget that he's finally going to be a free agent after this year. So that he could also be, I did forget that. I don't know that he would move on, but there's a possibility that he would move on. The Patriots aren't, they're not always big about paying guys. So he could definitely move on. Sanu also went to Rutgers. And if you know anything about Bill Belichick, you know how much he loves Rutgers. His son, Steve was there at the same time that Sanu was at Rutgers. The yep. McCordys were there. John Harmon was there. There's a lot of a, a connection uh, between Sanu and this team. And you're right. They've been trying to trade for this guy. I'd heard even, I know, I think Rappaport, like you said, was saying during the draft, I'd heard even before the draft, they were trying to trade for this guy. So Bill Belichick loves Muhammad Sanu. And he was probably, I mean, obviously he was willing to give up pick number 64 in the draft. And the Patriots just don't value the draft like everyone else does, um, which, you know, they would rather have veterans come in because they don't have is, to. it's win now. They just want a guy that can do a job and they will, they'll find that through free agency or trades. One more trade uh, they got done this week and the deadline is Tuesday. So there's still plenty of time for trades to happen. I expect a lot more will. One big one that shook things up a little bit on Monday was that Gary and Conley, a former first rounder, was traded to the Houston Texans for a third round pick. The Texans now 
basically don't have any draft picks uh, in the, the 2020 NFL draft. Uh, they've traded for Laramie Tunsil. They've traded for Kenny Stills. They, they are just very depleted right now when it comes to draft picks. Um, they have a second and they have a fourth. And then they got a couple day three picks. Uh, uh, whoever the so GM is great. there, it comes in and has nothing to work with. Yeah, a second, so. two fourths, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh. So, yeah, not uh, not a lot, but they do have Gary and Conley, who, you know, if, let's go back in time. His career started weird. He was drafted. There were the allegations of uh, sexual assault that um, no, nothing ever came from that. Then there were the injuries, and it was like he had chronic shin splints and really couldn't get on the field early in his career. It seemed like he was starting to turn the page last year. This year, the Raiders are running a ton of zone coverage. This is not what he's a good fit for. So hopefully a change of scenery will be good for him, a change of scheme as well. But I, I really liked Gary Conley coming out of Ohio State. And he was there when they had some studs, obviously. Marshawn Lattimore oh, yeah. was on the other side of him. Malik but Cooker. I liked Malik Cooker. I liked Conley enough to have a first-round grade on him. And hopefully, like you said, hopefully this change of scenery will be big for him. The, the Texans need corner help. Uh, I, I know they've liked what they've seen from Lonnie Johnson, but they, they need some help on the back end. Yeah, they really did. Uh, they really needed help in the secondary. Obviously, a tough loss to the Colts this past weekend. And this is a flyer. I know third round picks can be valuable, but Gary Conley, there was a time where he was living up to that first round talent that he is. Now, has it worked out since? Another problem I have, too, is I just don't think John Gruden ever really wanted this guy to be completely yep. transparent with you here. So do I think the talent is there where he can get back to that first round form? I truly do. And, and that's the kind of risk you take with the third round pick at a season where you're competitive, but you also getting a 24 year old player that can help you for the long term. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's smart business. If, if it works and if not right now, the Raiders are loaded up with draft picks. And, and so they'll probably draft another guy from Clemson is what Mike Mayhuck will do. Let's take a break. We come back. We are going to do the Lord's work. We're going to fix the New York jets. If you were forced to watch Monday night football, you know that we <laughs> needed to fix the New York jets. <laughs> oh my God. I, I text somebody. It's like, I actually have to watch this entire game. It's my job. And so it's Ugh. like, you look for things like root for, um, and I was just rooting for the Patriots to continue to score, but <laughs> The Jets need a lot of work. They, they really do. We were going to fix the Dolphins today and like had it all ready to go. And last night was so bad. We're like, we should probably fix the Jets today. And I know everyone's going to want to talk about the coaching staff and, and what they should do. But let's, let's do what you have to first because the trade deadline is Tuesday. And I look at this team and say, I, I want to do something that Mike McCagnan should have done and never really could get to. And it's funny that, you know, over the course of a couple of years, the Jets drafted all these great defensive tackles. You know, Leonard Williams, Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson. Yep. None of them are going to be on the team next season. So I think why did the last regime fail? You can look at, at those picks and say, okay, well, at the time they looked like good picks, but last two no regimes. longer last two regimes. Excuse me. Yeah, last two regimes. So I'm going to finish the job and trade Leonard Williams. Get some return on investment for this guy while you can. He is set to be a free agent after this year. You are not bringing him back, not after you drafted uh, our Lord and Savior at uh, number four overall or number three overall, Quentin Williams. So I would trade Leonard Williams, get what you can, because I don't, I think you could get better than the third round compensatory late third round compensatory pick that you would uh, that you would get in return for him. Yeah, I think so, too. It's interesting. I had heard uh, last offseason that the front office before they were let go had at least one offer of a second round pick on the table for Leonard Williams and that the new coaching staff, which was in place, did not want to get rid of him. They felt what? like they, they needed to go into battle with all their guys. They hadn't taken Quinn and Williams yet. They didn't know how that board was going to fall, which that's just poor preparation. You should have known Quinn and Williams is probably going to be the pick at three. Exactly. And, and they didn't make the move. And now the question is, can you still get that second rounder for Leonard Williams? You'll hear a variety of opinions on this. I, I think I know there's people that are like, hey, well, day three flyer pick work. It will not. I know Leonard Williams has taken a lot of heat, but coaches around the NFL really like Leonard Williams. I think teams around yep. the NFL, the Cowboys really need interior D-line help. I don't know how much they'll be willing to pay. That's the one that stands out. That's the one that stands out. I think you could see a scenario where Leonard Williams brings you back a third-round pick, maybe a conditional third that can become a second-round pick. But at the end of the day, Matt, I think you're right. I think you can get more than the compensatory selection. And if you're Joe Douglas, you have Henry Anderson on a long-term contract. Yep. You have Quinton Williams there. Here's the kicker. They just gave Steve McClendon a one-year extension on that D-line, who is basically the captain of the team right now. 
there's no room for Leonard Williams after this year, and they're not going to pay him. So I'm with you. I think that's step one in fixing the Jets is moving him and getting a pick for next year. I wonder, and, and I know it's not maybe the biggest need, but where Seattle has struggled so much to get a pass rush right now, and, and Jerron Reed's just now getting back and getting yep. into the swing of things, but I wonder if you don't call Seattle and say, hey, you guys, are you're a playoff team, but you're going to have to bolster that pass rush. You're not going anywhere. I wonder if that's not a phone call you make, other than, like you said, I mean, there's Dallas is the obvious one, but I don't know how much they'd be willing to pay. But I think Leonard Williams, you got to go. And I, I felt this way about Sheldon. I felt the way about Mo. Like, you want to get rid of these guys while they're, they still have some value. So, again, you're probably going to get, you know, a pick in the 90s or, or early 100s if he leaves as a compensatory uh, pick. But that wouldn't be until 2021. So, you're getting a little bit of return on investment faster. So, step two, we get past Tuesday, past the trade deadline. Step two for me, and I know last night was rough. But I need to see what the Jets have in rookie offensive lineman Chuma Adoga yep. because there have been times he's looked really good and he's looked really quick. Go back to the Dallas game. He played very I well. Watching Dallas film, I thought this might be the left tackle of the future. Last night, I thought this guy might be a backup. So we need to figure out who he is. This is a lost season, obviously. So let's see who he is over the course of the year at left tackle. You need to audition him there because if not, you're looking at someone like Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs or Austin Jackson in the upcoming draft class. So I think it's very important in the rest of this season to see what you have out of a Doga left tackle. Here's my question for you, Matt. Now, Kelvin Beecham is going to be a free agent at the end of this year, and he's hurt. He didn't play last night. And it didn't matter who played last night because the Patriots ran cover zero and blitzed <laughs> right? the shit out of the Jets, and there was nothing they could do. When it comes down to it, do you bring Beecham back and play him at left tackle this year for Darnold's development and a Doga on the right side? Or do you just say, hey, Sam's got to figure it out. We need to see what a Doga has on the left side right now. I would say you got to see what Adoga has on the left side. But I also, one of my biggest complaints that I yelled at my TV last night were that the Jets did not adjust and have very many quick quick routes for Darnold. Like, screens. Okay, like you said, it's cover zero, nothing. They did nothing to really slow down the Patriots linebackers, especially. So I think that goes on Adam Gase and the offensive staff to say, okay, we're going to have a young, still developing 22-year-old quarterback. We're going to have a rookie left tackle. We need to help them out a little bit. And, and be able to adjust in-game some. So I know that might be asking a lot from Adam Gase, but I would say I want to see what these two former USC guys do together. And that takes me right to my third point. Big one. I know that before the season, I said, I like Adam Gase. Of the candidates the Jets interviewed, I liked Adam Gase, especially once it looked like Matt Campbell wasn't going to go there. I really thought that he would be able to develop Sam Darnold but then this season just like took such a weird turn for the Jets. Darnold gets sick. The offensive line gets you know injured and doesn't look good. And there's the whole Colicchio simulate thing going on. The defense has not been great. I would fire Adam Gase and Greg Williams. I think an important thing for a front office, an important thing for owner is to say, hey, that didn't work. And it didn't work. And being able to admit that now is better than waiting and losing more of Sam Darnold's rookie contract window to a mistake. I would fire Adam Gase. I would fire Greg Williams. And I would go to guys like Matt Rule. I would probably go back and say, hey, I know McCagnan didn't want to let you pick your own offensive coordinator and they tried to force Todd Mocking down your throat. We're sorry. Why don't you come try this again? Because there was an obvious connection there. I would call Matty Campbell back and say, okay, you've seen the ceiling at Iowa State, man. Let's, let's try this somewhere else. And if you're not going to bounce to a bigger Power 5 school, and, and you're probably not, come to the NFL. Bring that CEO and that culture-building style that – has him one of the top head coaching candidates, bring that to the NFL and see what it can do. If neither of those guys are ready to leave college, I would be very, very interested to interview both of the coordinators in San Francisco right now because I I think they are doing a fantastic job. Mike McDaniel's ability to scheme up the run game. I know a lot of that's Kyle Shanahan, but Mike McDaniel's ability to work under him as basically the run game coordinator. I have heard nothing but good things about Mike, especially over the last couple of years. I would be interested to interview him and see what he's got there. He's never been interviewed for a head coaching job, so it's it's truly an unknown, but I think he's going to be a very interesting name. Uh, and being able to pair him with Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold, I, look at that San Francisco offense. Like What they do schematically would work so well with Darnold and Bell. 
Yeah, and some of these free agents and draft picks we're going to get into later would align perfectly with what Mike McDaniel does best, and that's scheme up the run. And Le'Veon's going to be here next year. Le'Veon looked great on Monday night. I just want to say he that. He really did. For how bad the team played, literally an embarrassing effort, Le'Veon looks great, and I think they should feel good about that signing if they want to feel good about something. Uh, moving, uh, Staying here, though, because I want to touch on your coaching points. I agree with the order. You need to almost write an apology to Matt Rule and say, hey, let's try this again. But I think Joe Douglas actually brings a different level of credibility when trying to bring in a coaching hire. Now, how Sam Darnold performs the rest of the year is also going to matter. Now they play Jacksonville. They play Miami twice. They play Washington. They play Oakland. They play teams that are not going to look like the best defense in the NFL. That's the New England Patriots. And we saw what Sam did against Dallas. I know Sam had a horrific night Monday. He's a better player than that. I think he will rebound from all of this. And I think that's something that might entice one of these coaches, whether it's Matt Rule. You know how much I love Matt Campbell as well. I think McDaniel's the most intriguing of the bunch. Now, it does suck a little bit for Greg Williams because he's been way better than I expected this year. I think the defense has done everything they can. They have no corners besides Brian Poole, and Greg is just doing everything you can. Even New England last night, there were times where they didn't just run down the field, but the Jets' offense right. put the defense in such a bad position so many times that it was the inevitable. So it does start with this coaching list. Now, this coaching list is going to expand as the season goes on. Um, you know, just to get away from some of these college guys and coordinator guys, Matt, is there anyone that you could see let go as a retread that you think deserves an interview, whether it is a Mike Tomlin? I don't know if they move on from him, but throw his name into the pool. Jay Gruden, one of these guys. I would be interested in Jay Gruden because of the Sam Darnold factor. And it, it seems like hires go ping pong. So it's all, okay. What defensive guys, because you just hired an offensive guy and did yeah. I think Dan Quinn's a much better coach than Atlanta is playing right now. I think his, I don't know if it just got stale there or what. Mike Tomlin's name has, has surfaced a lot as maybe he will be out in Pittsburgh after this year. That's such a stable franchise. I don't know if they would be willing to move on, but um, I, I think also someone like Dave Taub, who's a special teams coordinator in Kansas City, his name has been floated a lot in recent years. So not your obvious like college head coach or offensive coordinator, but someone who He's not going to bring like dynamic X's and O's, but it's more about what he could do as a staff builder that I think would be really exciting. But as far as the red tread guys go, like, you know, I'm not jumping up and down to get Mike McCarthy. I can tell you that. I don't want to go that route. I mean, they interviewed him and I know it's a different crew, but the owner was in on the interviews. And I heard that it just did not go well. I think Mike is it was pretty checked out after Green Bay. Maybe he needed a year to take off and refresh. I know there are people that are sitting there and saying, well, I told you they should have hired him. That was not the answer at the time. And I don't think it's the answer in the future. No, so. two names that I would uh, would throw out there. Uh, so, it's funny because he was mentioned before. John D. Philippe, uh, who's done a, a really good job in Jacksonville this year with Gardner Minshew. Um, and then I don't know if Gary Kubiak would ever want to get back in. What he's done in Minnesota as the offensive coordinator. Amazing. It really deserves more credit than it's been given. So oh, yeah. I would look at those two guys as names that we've heard before. A Kubiak has a Super Bowl ring, but you know, guys who man, those are those are pretty good coaches that are are under the radar right now. The Saints have a couple guys and Pete Carmichael and Dan Campbell who should be getting more love than they are. So there's there's some good coaches out there that aren't in the the obvious names we talk about. Uh, let's transition to free agency because that will be huge for the Jets. We've seen them try to be big spenders. Last year they actually were. You get CJ Mosley, you get Le'Veon Bell. They really went for broke. Then that front office got fired. So what do they do this year? I feel like it'll be more conservative under Joe Douglas, who has not been as aggressive as Howie Roseman, the guy he kind of learned under in Philadelphia. So I think we're going to learn a lot about Joe and how he wants to run his team. A guy I would keep, though, I would do everything I could to keep Robbie Anderson. I I think he's much better than some of the situations he's been put in. We've seen flashes of what he can do, uh, especially against Dallas with Sam in there. And then if you're going to go to market to try to improve this team, I would try to pay for one pass rusher and one corner and then draft those positions as well. I look at Shaq Barrett, who's on a one-year deal right now in Tampa Bay. He's going to be near the top of the league sack leaders. I think he could be a really good fit, especially uh, if you're going to run more of that type of defense. And again, if we're firing the coaching staff, no more Greg Williams, thank God. I think Shaq Barrett would be fun. And then I still like Trey Waynes. I I know he's kind of had an up-and-down career in Minnesota, but his size, his ability to play man coverage... I would, and that's not like you're not paying Trey Wayne's a ton of money. So he's someone I would be interested in as a mid-tier free agent at corner. 
Yeah, and when you look at this salary cap situation, you're right, Matt. They spent a lot of money last offseason, and they're still going in with more than $50 million in 2020, and that's without a lot of obvious cuts. They could save a little bit of the Tremaine Johnson contract, although that was a nightmare. Uh, $11.5 million for Kelechi Osemele can be saved. Uh, $6 million from Daryl Roberts. Another $7.5 million from Brian Winter. So if Joe Douglas wants to blow this thing up, and go in and have a $80 million spending spree, he could do it. And that's when it starts with me. You made a great point. Bring back Robbie Anderson. He's your deep threat. I think he'll flourish uh, when the offensive line actually gives the quarterback some time to throw the football down the field. And I would bring back Brian Poole. They signed him on a one-year deal. He's been a great corner for the slot. They have no one on the outside, but he's done a really nice job on the inside. I'd bring back Brian Poole. That has to be a priority on the internal free agency. When you look at, you did a great job on the defensive end. Go get a pass rusher like Shaq Barrett. Help at corner. Another corner I'll throw into the mix. He'll be t- he's 27 right now. He'll turn 28 next season. I wonder what Byron Jones is going to command on the free agent market. I, I think could be a lot. Could yeah. be a lot of money. And if it is, I would probably stay away because some of the injuries, some of the inconsistent play. You love his flashes, but that's a name that's going to be very interesting for me as the Jets look to assess corner. Interior offensive line needs to be rebuilt. I know the tackles. We'll get to that in the mock draft a little bit. But right now, I look at Brandon Scherf is set to hit free agency. You need a dominant powerhouse guard that can get things going for Le'Veon Bell. You need a new center. The Ryan Khalil experiment has been a disaster. Either J.C. Yep. Treader from the Browns, Trey Hopkins from the Bengals. We talked about both those guys when we fix the Bengals. If one of them makes it to free agency, Joe Douglas has to realize this interior offensive line needs to be rebuilt right away to give their quarterback a chance. And now it's time. Let's have some fun and do some mock drafting. I like that you went the Buffalo style here. Like we're paying an offensive line, guys. Buy Watch an this. offensive line exactly. and draft wor- some. We're not done yet. Right. It's working for Buffalo. So here's what I want to preface this by saying the Jets schedule. They could realistically win four or five more games because they have the Dolphins they in there shit twice. <laughs> they shit play teams, the Bengals. They play shit teams. They play the Redskins. They play the Steelers. They could win four or five more games. So they could be drafting anywhere from, I mean, five to 12. And it wouldn't surprise me, basically, because they could win enough games. Right now, they're slotted to be at five at one and five. But, I mean, this could be a five and 11 type team, which is going to push you down the board. So keep that in mind. I don't have Chase Young falling in this one. Neither do if I. they are at five, my target would be Jerry Judy. Get Sam Darnold a true number one receiver. No disrespect to the, the solid receiver core the Jets have. They don't have a number one. I want Jerry Judy. Now, if they end up picking at like eight, nine, ten, I think your focus becomes Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs. Thomas plays left tackle for Georgia. Wirfs plays right tackle at Iowa, but a lot of people think he could switch sides in the NFL. Those would be my targets if you fall out of that top tier of premium picks, which I think Judy will be in. Yeah, I, I would love to get Jerry Judy. I don't know if he makes it to them, so I went with the the other route, and that is Andrew Thomas because I think he could play left tackle. I think he could play right tackle. I think he could play guard. I really don't think it, ma- it doesn't matter. He could play anywhere. Yep. He's a great run blocker. He really is. I think he'd bring the right attitude to this Jets offensive line, and if you go back to the free agency plan of getting a center like J.C. Treader or getting a guard like Brandon Scherf, and you bring in Andrew Thomas, you're going to see what you have in Chuma Adoga. That's a start to rebuilding this offensive line yeah it absolutely is and that's that has to be the key for them right now is rebuilding the offensive line in round two i want an area that has been just sorely overlooked by this team basically since Darrell Ravis left and that is the cornerback position i really like tcu's jeff gladney in the second round he's in i believe ranked number 46 on my board right now he has size he has very very good coverage instincts and he's not on a great defense this isn't a dude who's out there with like stud safeties over the top he is on an island almost weekly so gladney he's six foot about 190 pounds i compared him to kyle fuller uh, when watching a couple of games I, I think he profiles as a starting corner in the nfl and not a not a CB1. He's not a shutdown guy. I'm not going to lie to you, but a very good starter nonetheless. I'm with you all the way here for the Jeff Gladney pick. I think he is a, a plug-and-play corner that should be available at the top of round two, and that is very, very important when you talk about value here. So, Jeff Gladney, listen, I don't know if they can get out of the Tremaine Johnson contract next year. They're going to take on a lot of dead money. They do have to bring back Brian Poole, but it's a start. 
at the cornerback position to get a guy that's feisty, physical, and scrappy like Gladney is. Yep. Round three, I'm going back to that edge position. There are a lot of guys that I really like in this edge class as values around three. I want to look at what the New England Patriots did. Last year, they got Chase Winovich in the third round, and he's been a vision for them. Kenny Willekes at Michigan State is like a, a light version of Chase Winovich. I don't know that he plays with the, quite the same like motor and just insanity, but he is a hard-ass pass rusher, man. Just His get-up field ability is great. He's strong. So I like Kenny Willick because he might be a situational pass rusher early in his career, but I think there's some development potential there. So I want him at coming off the right side of that defense as a rookie on third downs, and then hopefully he can develop into more of a, a true three-down player. Yeah, I feel like he's going to get some of the Chase Winovich comps this year going into the draft. And I think the Jets uh, probably regret passing on a guy like Winovich. And I went with the edge as well here. I went with Anthony Jennings from Alabama. Now, I think he rises a little bit because Alabama defenders always seem to have a late surge when they aren't the guy of that yep. defense. It's like we went into the summer and we're like, all right, Dill Moses is going to be at the top of every mock draft. And then you get through more and more tape and you go, what about this guy? What about this guy? And I think with Jennings on the edge, just an all around very solid defender. And the Jets are once again, going to have to add to that group, whether it is in free agency with Shaq Barrett or a lesser name or in the draft on day two. And in round four, we both went back to the middle of the offensive Keep line here. Stacking it. Have to just throw picks at this, especially in the middle of the draft. You can find starters at Garden Center in the middle of the draft. Tommy Kramer from Notre Dame. I know he maybe hasn't ever lived up to his recruiting hype, but he is a very solid player. He's smart. He's technically sound. You know you're going to get that from Notre Dame, guys. And I like his toughness in the run run game. He's 6'5". He's 3'13". I think he can work in a, a zone-blocking scheme, whether that's inside or outside zone. So if we're bringing in the guys from San Francisco, you need someone like Kramer in the run game. I think he'd be a perfect fit. Yeah, I'm with you there. You need a, a couple badasses on this offensive line. I think Brian Winters has regressed quite a bit this year. And once again, I don't know if they'll keep him at his salary next year, even if they do. Just keep stacking chips with this group. This interior needs a makeover. Uh, I think there's potential to solve the tackle situation at the top of the draft, like I said, with Andrew Thomas. But if you get Kramer, you start to have an identity and a little bit of a, a tougher group in the trenches here to block for Le'Veon Bell. The trade deadline is just a couple days away as you're listening to this, and we wanted to take a look at it, even though there will probably be a trade while we're recording or editing this Most podcast. Likely. So something will change this up, no doubt, because it already happened. Mohamed's new going to the Patriots. So let's start with some that here's one that I I don't know if it'll happen, but I want it to. I want Vic Beasley to be traded to the Baltimore Ravens. This team needs more juice at the edge rusher position. They're running away with the AFC North. This is the type of situational move that could bolster them. Beasley has just been on a downhill slide lately uh, after you know, a pretty good start to his career. So a new, new scene could be good for him. He's also a free agent after this year. So it's not, this is not going to be an expensive trade, but the, the Falcons are selling off pieces. We've seen that with Muhammad Sanu being traded. I think Vic Beasley's obviously on the trade block. They might have to lower their asking price to a, a fourth or fifth round pick to which the Ravens, I think the Ravens would be willing to do something like that to try to, to help this pass rush as they get into the playoff stretch. I, I want a 30 for 30 on his 15 and a half sack season. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's crazy to think at 23, 24 years old, he had a 15 and a half sack season. Now, I know the scheme helped him. I understand all that. But he has fallen off an absolute cliff out there. And I'm with you, Matt. I don't think the return on him is much. Now, on the fifth-year option, the cap hit is so high that a team will have to absorb some money that that might be holding this one back as well. But I look at Baltimore. It's like everything they touch turns to gold. So <laughs> let's let's get him there and give him a shot. Exactly. Yeah, second one for me. Maybe a little bit of a homer pick, but I know Emmanuel Sanders' name has been floated out there. The Patriots had called about him. Emmanuel Sanders to the 49ers. It has not been talked enough how much the 49ers are getting by with bad receiver play right now. Debo Samuel has done really nothing, um, and he, he has been banged up. Dante Pettis really hasn't done anything. They're surviving without a true number one. George Kittle is their number one. I think that, that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch will realize we can run the ball on almost anyone, but eventually we're going to have to be able to throw to win. And you're going to need playmakers to do that. Sanders is coming up toward the end of his deal as well. He's a good fit for them uh, to get really over the hump. Uh, Denver's probably not going to be asking much for an older player like this. Another team that's going to be selling off parts. I know, Connor, you want to talk about one of those as well. But Emmanuel Sanders to the Niners makes too much sense for me. 
Yeah, I think that's a great fit. I am a little disappointed with the lack of production early on from Debo. And I think Sanders is someone like uh, Kyle. Remember how much Kyle valued Pierre Garçon? I could see the same way being a veteran with Emmanuel Sanders. And I'm going across. Well, I'm staying in the NFC here uh, with the Eagles that desperately need secondary help. Now, I know we talked about on the Monday show that it feels like this has become a bit of a lost season for Philadelphia. Now, this is a team that, sure, they can catch fire. But if this secondary doesn't get any better, things are not going to change and I look at Chris Harris Jr. the Broncos got to be in fire sale mode almost at this point and I think Chris Harris is not going to be back after this season if you're Philadelphia this is the kind of player you like to acquire on the cheap he still plays at a high level maybe you you bring him in and you tack a band-aid deal on with him you sign him an extra year or two extension and keep him in this Philadelphia secondary so I don't think the cost would be very high Matt I think you'd be looking at probably a third round pick for someone like Chris Harris and that can inject some life into this Philadelphia secondary. Yeah, I love that move. A lot of people have been asking me about corners for the Kansas City Chiefs. Are they going to make a move? What kind of move will they make? Well, we know now that Jacksonville wouldn't even consider trading Jalen Ramsey to the Chiefs. Uh, There's been talk about Patrick Peterson, but the Cardinals really seem like they don't want to move him. So what will the Chiefs do? Here's my prediction. Absolutely nothing. They only have five picks. Their star quarterback is going to be out at least a week with that knee dislocation. I really look at the Chiefs, and I think that Brett Veach believes that once they get Eric Fisher back, once they get Sammy Watkins back, once this team is healthy, Chris Jones needs to come back, Kendall Fuller is out, once they get healthy... I honestly think they believe they're good enough to win a Super Bowl, as is. So with only five picks in the 2020 draft, no really expiring contracts that you're going to want to move for Kansas City. I mean, I don't think they're trading Chris Jones or Kendall Fuller. They're both free agents. And otherwise, it's Darren Lee, Reggie Ragland, and Mo Claiborne. Those guys aren't players that you would trade off. No. So I think the Chiefs actually stand pat this year. Yeah, I think it's about time they do. Listen, they've shipped off a lot of picks in recent years, so it makes sense. And and I thought we saw a different, I know it was Denver, but I thought we saw a different energy from this defense on Thursday night. And I I believe even the coaching staff, you know, gave a shout out to somebody like Derek Nottie that they feel is really turning the corner for them. So if you're looking at the Chiefs right now, I I think you're actually okay with not uh, making a move here for once. Yep. And the last one, the team that just made the big move, Mohamed Sanu goes to the Pats for a second. Why not make one more trade? OJ Howard to the Patriots is the trade that we all need to happen. He is being just completely wasted in Tampa Bay where they don't throw to the tight end. And when they do, it's Cameron Brate. Get OJ out of Tampa. Send him to the Patriots. Even if it's pick 32 in the draft that they end up shipping for him. Take it. I loved OJ Howard coming out of Alabama. He's so perfect for New England. So perfect. And they're not going to use him. I think in Tampa, we're going to see a, a decent amount of turnover if, if they don't get things turned around there. Whether Jason, Jason Light did get an extension, but I think Jameis is probably gone. We're going to see this get reworked. So the Patriots, they don't have a lot of picks. They have a first. They have a third. They have a four, two-fourths. Find a way. Care. Find a way and make it work. <laughs> even, yeah, even if you have to trade a 2021 second-round pick, get O.J. Howard to New England. I know this has probably been the season from hell for OJ Howard right now, but I just think he does not have a role in Bruce Arians offense. And and I think he'd go to new England and and probably become a star. He always has the talent. He's 24 years old. He could do everything on the field. He really just needs the right landing spot. And yeah, a lot of people will scoff at that and say, Hey, that's an overpay. But for some teams it's not. And I think new England is that team. I I do want to say real quickly, we didn't mention guys like Trent Williams. It does not seem like Washington. They don't want to move them. Right. They don't want to move him this season, which is so weird to me. I, I think they're they're just completely uh, misplaying the situation. Kenyon Drake's name has been out there. I don't know if there's anyone who would really want Kenyon Drake. The teams that are a playoff team that needs a running back, there just aren't very many of those. So I, I know those two names are, are like hot, hot ones on the trade wire. I just don't see anyone stepping up to take them right now. No, I'm with you all the way. I think I know we always throw a lot of names into the hat here, but you got to look at veterans on expiring contracts that teams simply uh, are not going to bring back and they know they need to get that value right now. It is draft on draft time. We've got a a, really a handful of good ones here. Let's start with Patrick Chamberlain. Uh, Although it's still early, what is currently your most controversial opinion about the 2020 draft? Uh, I put this in here. I I was going to save it for Friday because I wanted to get mellow in, but I put it in because I felt like two weeks ago, my Joe Burrow love was highly controversial. 
And I don't know if it still is because I, I say all the time, like I don't consume a lot of I don't consume a lot of sports content. I try to consume almost no draft content because you don't want anyone clouding your opinion. But I feel like I'm still incredibly high on Burrow, who's my number five overall player. But I also might be wrong about that. So you guys let me know if that's still a controversial take. Yeah, I don't think it is anymore, but I'll counter with a controversial take. I think people are really going to come back to, and not Burrow, about Burrow, but other guys. I think people are really going to come back to earth here on this quarterback class. I don't think it's this special group that six guys belong in the first round. Now, will teams overdraft quarterbacks every year? Of course, Jacob Eason, probably going to go in the first round. Jordan Love, probably going to go in the first round. Justin Herbert, probably going to go in the first round. Jalen Hurts has a chance to just keep climbing because he's gotten so much better under Lincoln Riley, but but at the end of the day, do I think this is a group where we have six future bona fide starters in this class? I personally don't see it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think we, not we specifically, I think people overrated this year's quarterback class and 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 the running back class. I think it's a good running back class, but it's That's not fair. like generationally great. legendary. Yeah. Yep. Now the receivers. I'm all Receiver in class, those. very, very good. Receiver class is amazing. All right, our guy Danny Kiefer, uh, again, congrats on the nuptials uh, to you and Kyla. If you're the GM <laughs> of the Bears, do you go after a quarterback right now in hopes of saving the season? Do you wait until the offseason to sign a free agent or package your limited picks to move up in the draft? So the good news for the Bears, I actually wrote about this uh, today. If you open your BR app, you can see I did an article on like the 10 best team fits to, to players or team fits with players. The Bears have two second-round picks, and I know that you probably don't want to say, okay, well, we traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. That didn't work. It it so clearly didn't work. Right now, the Bears would pick a 49 and 50. And when you talk about, okay, can they sign someone? They could, but I don't – that's not the best move, right, to go sign a player, to say, okay, we are going to sign Cam Newton or we're going to sign Nick Foles if he ends up. Uh, They are estimated – Next year, I believe, to be at about $18 million under the cap, depending on how that that fluctuates. So I don't know that signing someone's the option. I actually, uh, and I wrote this, you can can go look and see. I think Jalen Hurts is the guy for them. And I don't necessarily love Jalen Hurts as a passer, but I think you can look at Lamar Jackson. You can look at Josh Allen. uh, You can look at early Cam Newton, guys who were able to beat you with their legs and their arm. Jalen Hurts leads Oklahoma in rushing. And something that Matt Nagy said Sunday night has really stuck with me. They need leadership there. They need a fiery leader. And that's what Jalen Hurts is. He has this chip on his shoulder. He is a fantastic character guy. His leader grades and character grades are going to be off the charts good when we get to draft 400 season. So in terms of second round quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts would be my guy. That way you're not trying to package picks. Yeah, I, it makes a lot of sense. I think when you look at it, uh, Nagy's probably sitting there saying, hey, I believe this is someone that could fit into my system and, and give us a lot of different looks, whether it's how you know how great his mobility is, whether it's how he's progressed as a thrower. So I, I don't think it's crazy at all. I actually really like that strategy. And I think you highlighted the most important thing, Matt. This isn't a team with a salary cap where I, I don't know how realistic, and watch, it'll probably come out in the next 24 hours or something. I don't think it's very realistic to trade for a guy like Nick Foles and take on that that kind of money. I think that's just too much as much as they'd probably love to do that. I know a lot of people have brought up Josh Rosen. I don't see the bears rolling the dice like that. No. I think that's just as risky as Mitch Trubisky has been when it comes down to it. So uh, listen, I, I like your strategy. I think they look in the draft and, and try to really develop a guy that can come in and play and, and you know, maybe take some speed bumps along the way, but at the end of the day, can give you some production. And not to make this a bear segment, that offensive line is not good. And it's so not. putting Josh Rosen hurt. back there is a terrible idea. So yeah. I I want someone who can move around and make plays. That's why I went with Hurts over someone like Jacob Eason, who I like Eason better right now as a pro quarterback prospect. But that ability to beat you with the legs is super important uh, for me with that O-line. Nick Baker, as the Patriots just traded for Muhammad Sanu, do you feel teams are afraid to trade with the Patriots as they rarely miss on a player they trade for and find a role for that player like during the draft eval process? I think that's a myth. I, I, I don't think I, I was good. I did a, an exercise the other day. I was just bullshitting with somebody, you know, that loves the draft. And I said, look at New England's last five drafts. 
there's so many misses in there, which makes it more impressive how they get by, whether it's UDFAs, whether it's uh, developing players that didn't work out in one situation, which I know Nick is asking that kind of question there. I think there's also plenty of trades that simply haven't worked out for them at times. So I don't think teams are afraid to trade with New England. Now, it probably does make you bat an eye. Like Atlanta held out for a long time before trading them Sue, but Sue's a veteran player. We know what Muhammad Sanu is at 30 years old. So I actually don't buy into this rumor or thought. I really just don't think that Belichick likes draft picks. Um, and, and there's a lot to that. Um, I, I've, I wrote about this once that good teams like the Patriots, number one, they don't have very many roster spots to fill with draft picks. And number two, like their players are probably better than a draft pick. And so if you evaluate the draft horizontally, you know, like a Seattle model and say, okay, our quarterback is Tom Brady. Obviously no quarterback in the draft is going to be better than him. So, okay. What about our backup quarterback? Okay. Well, we feel like Jarek Stidham's better than Brian Hoyer. So we value him. Uh, you look at your left tackle. Okay. That's where Isaiah Wynn. we feel like we're going to lose Nate Solder. Isaiah Wynn is a starter level tackle. You know, you evaluate the draft against your current roster. If the Patriots do that, the draft doesn't hold much value except for like developmental type players, you know, like a Jarrett Stidham, like a Chase Winovich, who they are getting some production from Jawan Williams, you know, a second round pick who everyone thought is more of a developmental type guy. So I don't I think the Patriots are they're such an enigma. Like you can't look at the Patriots and learn a lot of lessons about the NFL because no, they're an outlier. They, 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 they are an outlier because of Belichick and Brady. So um, I, I don't. I, if I were ever to be a GM or if you were ever to be a GM, we couldn't look at the Patriots and say, okay, we're going to do it that way. Well, no, you're not because you don't have Tom Brady. So good luck because, and you also don't have Belichick and you don't have Josh McDaniels and you don't have Ernie Adams. You don't have these guys who just work so well in tandem to, to figure out the perfect fit for each, each player. And, and like Nick says, no one is better in the NFL at saying, okay, we need this. We need a slot corner. Okay. Well, let's go get, Jonathan Jones, who would be, you know, what what would he be for most teams? Probably nothing. Or let's get James White. Like, those guys aren't playing for anyone else. But in New England, yeah. they're top-of-the-line players. It's crazy how they do it year after year. But I really do like your point that they are not a model to follow. They are something that uh, they're just rare. It's rare. It really is. All right, this one from hashtag Glazers out. What realistic head coach option do the Giants have if they decide to fire Shermer? I I will let you answer this, Matt, but I just want to start with it, and I know you've alluded to it on previous shows. I don't think Giants fans should be talking about Lincoln Riley right now. No, I don't either. I'm I'm I know I joked around on Twitter on Monday. Somebody's like, "How would you fix the Giants?" And I was like, "Well, I'd, I'd fire Dave Gettleman, hire give myself, him a ton of money, and then give him a billion dollars, basically." Um, so I I, I look at the Giants, and, and we mentioned some of these names earlier. I think you can look at. You know, guys like a Gary Kubiak, you can look at someone like John D. Philippe. Some of these offensive coordinators are doing really well in the NFL right now. I also, I mean, I think Matt Rule has to be a, a name he, that you consider there. He coached there already. Yep, exactly. So, so I, I think they, Matt Rule's perfect for them. And they're big on that. They're big on like, it's almost like Michigan or the Yankees where like they want people who've been there. But I, I feel like the ownership of the Giants right now needs to figure out who they are, you know, a little bit because they, they just keep trying to go back to the well. Moving on from Eli was a big first step. I, I have a lot of respect for Dave Gettleman. He's been in the league a really long time. The guys who, who reach that level, you know, the pinnacle, the top of the mountain, just won a Super Bowl ring. Uh, I think you have to give them a lot of credit. But I also think they need an infusion of younger ideas, you know, of let's get outside the box a little bit when and doing player evaluation and, and positional valuing. So um, I, I would say someone like a younger head coach would be my preference over someone like a Gary Kubiak. You know, look at Matt Rule. Look at, at John D. Philippe. Look at the guys in New Orleans that we mentioned. You know, Pete Carmichael would be such a, a good fit for Daniel Jones. So I, I think you have to see, okay, what kind of offense do we want? Who's going to work with Daniel Jones to go get someone who would be a fit for that? Yeah, which is going to be very interesting because I, I don't, I don't want to get into a Daniel Jones hate fest, but I don't know if Daniel Jones sells a job right now. That's my question. I don't know right. if he sells a job. It goes and it back depends. to the, like, what did you think of him pre-draft? Do you want to yeah. work with him? Because it's been a roller coaster. The debut against Tampa was great, and since then it has not been great. And that happens at all young quarterbacks. We've seen it with Sam Darnold. The highest of highs against Dallas, the lows of lows against New England, that job might be open. Uh, we've seen it, I mean, across the board here. Obviously, we haven't seen many highs with Josh Rosen, but a lot of young quarterbacks. Josh Allen, he's had some horrible games. He's had some good games. So... Yep. It really comes down to what those coaching candidates think of the quarterback. All right, this one from Drew Rush. How many years does Andrew Luck retiring set the Colts back? 
Uh, he's just basically, it's a long-winded question. It's a long question, yeah. But he basically felt that, you know, they've drafted well. Uh, they were set to have a really bright future with him. I, I'll keep this one kind of short and sweet. On Monday, we went in depth about how the Colts are very for real with Jacoby Brissett and that the front office has done a brilliant job with this team to set them up for short-term success rebounding from the luck retirement and keeping flexibility with Brissett's contract for long-term options. So I think if you're a Colts fan, if you didn't get to listen to that segment, we did spend a lot of time on them, but also that you should feel really good about things going forward with or without yep. Andrew Luck. I don't think it set them back. Honestly, I it think it might help. It seem that way. It's a team that already has the most cap space. They're going to have even more. They are in great shape. And I think Jacoby Brissett's playing well. The thing is, like, you have to separate like reality from where we potential and Andrew Luck, a hurt Andrew Luck. I don't know if he's better than Jacoby Brissett right now. I mean, sure. Last year when he was healthy, there were times he looked like an MVP candidate, but I mean, he was hurt again. And so it's kind of like our Cam Newton conversation. Yes. When Cam Newton's healthy, he's really, really good. But when he's not healthy, you have a liability on your hands. And I think that's what we were getting to that point a little bit with luck. So I like Jacoby Brissett. And now, you have an inexpensive quarterback to build your team around. So I think they're in fine shape. Last question from Garrett Greenlee. Is Percy Harvin a good comparison for KJ Hamler, the Penn State uh, redshirt sophomore who's just absolutely amazing? Uh, I, I, I say he's Marquise Brown. I, I, I mean, Percy Harvin, maybe with some of the run catch stuff, but if I remember right, Percy, Percy was kind of thick. Yeah, Percy was... Definitely a lot taller, like three or four inches taller. 5'11", 184 is what he was listed at. Yeah, and KJ is not his listed weight. I'm sorry. No. He's like 165, 170. Yeah. 5'11", 200 is Harvin when he was drafted. So Playstyle comp's not nuts. Yeah. Different body type. But um, I like it when people throw out comps. It makes you think. too. It makes you spin the wheels a little bit. I've already locked in Marquise Brown as my KJ Hamler. So it, it doesn't it feel good when you just punch it into the dock. And I know. Like, I'm done. I'm not changing this comp. I'm yep. not moving off this comp. Comps are. They, I when it gets to night, March and April, they're a headache. I had an agent text me last night. And he was like asking about Caleb Von Chason. And so, yeah, I love him. You know, he's a great leader. He's finally healthy. It's really starting to come on. He was like, who's your comp? And I was like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's October. And uh, comps for me. Just come if I'm watching a player and it and it clicks. It's like, oh, God, this is like watching. Like, I compared Joe Burrow to Jimmy Garoppolo. And it was like the third time I watched him play. And it was like, shit, this is like watching Garoppolo play. So with, with Chase on and, and other guys, like I Isaiah Simmons, I just have a huge question mark in his comp box on my yep. spreadsheet. I mean, like, there's not a lot of players like him. I don't know. Cam Chancellor meets Miles Jack. Like, I don't know who his comparison is yet. So we'll get there. Um, I have a couple comparisons locked in, and I feel really good about them, but uh, we'll see. It's a process. Also, I know he hasn't been you know, an incredible NFL player. It's hard to believe he's still 25, but he was a great college player. What about Shaq Thompson? Remember him? How oh, much yeah, of, like, I loved a, him. Yeah, Me too. And he's been a, he hasn't been a bad NFL player, I want to be clear. He just never right. became that superstar we thought he could be billed as. Yeah. He was like miles before miles because he played yes. running back, he played linebacker safety. All these hybrids, man, they are tough to tough to get a comp down for. It makes it very tough. Yeah, I might just say there isn't one. I don't know. Our editors are never going to let that happen. <laughs> so no. he's the first <laughs> of his kind. Let's just call it that. All right, that is our yeah, show. Right. We will be back Friday morning, all three of the gang. And then next week, Connor and I will be in London. You'll get a show on Monday. You'll get a show on Wednesday, as always. So thanks for listening. Don't forget, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your shows. And watch us on Bleach Report's YouTube channel. Thank you.